Happiness is out of this world. Join us as we reach for the stars on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science. And it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thrilled that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We're all so excited because coming up very soon is a new issue of Live Happy magazine. So be checking newsstands everywhere. Also be checking the digital edition, which is available in the Google Play and the Apple Store. You can put it on any Apple phone or Android phone or any iPad or Android device. You can take it with you wherever you go, and you can get special features that are only available on the digital edition. So, you know, why not do both? On this episode, I'm very excited because I was a little space nerd as a kid. I mean, I literally collected Apollo mission toys, and then... I got to talk to a real astronaut. How cool is that? <laughs> Mike Massimino served with NASA from 1996 to 2014 and is the veteran of two space flights to the Hubble Space Telescope. Mike's story is truly inspiring. His book, Spaceman, is the tale of his unlikely journey to becoming an astronaut from his small town in Long Island to Columbia and MIT to NASA and finally to the cosmos. Well, Mike, I got to say, it's uh, very exciting to have you on the program. When I was a kid, I saw Apollo 13, and I became the biggest little space nerd in the middle of the country there I thought ever was, and then Clayton Anderson became an astronaut, so I guess I got beat out for that. But uh, astronauts and space have always fascinated me. I'm very excited to have you here to, to talk about your time living literally out of this world. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my, my pleasure, Jared. Thanks for having me. Like I said, I was very, very much when I was young, I thought, all right, I'm going to go through the space program. I'm going to be in space. And by the time I'm 30, we'll be going to Mars. And that hasn't happened yet. But part of the reason that uh, I did not pursue that is I, I got very scared of the idea of having this very powerful rocket on my back and uh, blasting into outer space. What what got you to make the decision to, to do something like that? Uh, well, um, you know, I, uh, I idolize the... Uh... Apollo astronauts. I was six years old when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and, and uh, that was uh, that was something that I dreamt about doing as a little boy. And, and then uh, as I got older, I really didn't think much about it because it became sort of a ridiculous thing to want to do. Not so much because I was worried about the rocket, but I was scared of just about everything else. I was uh, <laughs> scared of heights and uh, kind of a nerdy kid. Uh, and then didn't, didn't see myself growing up to be a you know fearless test pilot like Neil Armstrong, but. Uh, after I got out of college, I started noticing that the space program had changed a bit. And, um, it was now the space shuttle program, and it was more than just test pilots. It certainly were still military test pilots as astronauts, but there were also scientists and engineers and people of color and men and women of different shapes and sizes. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe this is something I could do. And if I couldn't become an astronaut, maybe at least I could contribute to the program and, in some way. So. That's what uh, that's that's when my my dream kind of got rekindled. It was that little boy dream, 
think I rekindled when I was older. And as far as like putting yourself on a rocket, you know, there's always, uh, if there's something you really want to do, there's always going to be some things that might be unpleasant or risky or dangerous or <clears throat> whatever. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, putting yourself on top of a rocket is probably maybe the smartest thing to do. <laughs> but if you want to go to space, that's the only way you can get there. So uh, it ended up being quite an experience. You grew up uh, on Long Island and uh, went to Columbia and MIT. I mean, that's a journey in and of itself to get through uh, those two institutions. What obstacles did you find? Because, I mean, getting to the point where you do have that rocket at your back, that's not incredibly easy. What obstacles did you have to overcome on your way to uh, to making it to the launch pad? Um, yeah, there, there were some, like you mentioned school, certainly um, – when I was at Columbia, I, you know, I was concentrating on trying to get through and graduate. I, I wasn't thinking about being an astronaut at that point. Sure. I just was trying to do the best I could and get through. And but uh, but for me, what, you know, one of those obstacles uh, and obstacles actually occurred before then too, academically. Even when I was uh, younger in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, it wasn't it wasn't always easy for me. And um, I, I remember there was there always seemed to be at points academically in school where things would get tougher. And I remember, like, eighth grade, for example, taking earth science. And that was kind of like the first real science beyond, like, you know, playing playing around science. It was a real course, and it had a big final exam at the end of the year and so on. And and, um, and I remember taking that, that, that course and having trouble, really having trouble, needing to get some help um, from, a, from a kid who was a student who was a bit older than I was, who was a volunteer tutor, came over to my house and helped me out. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's one thing is that when you run into trouble, you seek out the, the help you, you can get, get the experts to help you and, and buckle down. And that's what I did. And it, um, and that helped me then. And, and it continued on through high school. And I, I remember in, in going into engineering school my, my junior year at Columbia, uh, things got a lot tougher junior year. And, and uh, I didn't, wasn't, didn't start out well and, again, had to readjust. And then. After I decided I wanted to try to pursue a career in the space program and went to MIT, it was almost daily obstacles at MIT. But, but the biggest one probably at MIT is I failed my qualifying exam for my doctoral uh, my doctoral degree, and I uh, failed pretty badly and was given a second chance barely, and was able to get around that. And then even applying for astronaut, I was rejected three times. I got accepted on the fourth time, and the, the third time I was medically disqualified for my eyesight and. They they couldn't do anything to really improve your eyesight like you can now. They didn't accept LASIK or or any of those techniques back back then over 20 years ago. Now they do. But back then they didn't. And so the only thing I could do to even be considered again after being medically disqualified was to figure out how to see better. So I went through some vision training to improve my eyesight and was able to get past the, the eye exam to be considered again and then finally got picked on the fourth time. Uh, when I reapplied, so I, I think it's you know I think that's part of it. I think for a job like astronaut, I think like most jobs, um, after you get the job, it's not going to be a piece of cake either, and you're going to be faced with a lot of obstacles and challenges and and things are, that just really put you on the edge of what you're able to do and where your comfort level is. But you know you get there because you've already gotten around a lot of those obstacles, a lot of other obstacles, and it's the it's the thought. You know each obstacle is different. But it's the thought that you're, you're not going to let it stand in your way. You're going to figure out a way to get around it. But each one is different. Each one seems bad when it happens. And then once it's over, you're glad you're on the other side of it and never want to have to do it again. That's what I always looked at. 
You've got this yeah. this sort of matter-of-fact way of looking at it, which I think a lot of people maybe don't have. I don't know if it's a product of your raising or just a, a, a something natural to you, that when you encounter – you sound like the type of guy, and obviously it worked out because you've been to space twice working on the Hubble uh, telescope. But when you encounter a problem like that, it's, okay, I'm encountering this problem. How do I get past it? And it's not a wallowing for a long time about, oh, my gosh, how is why is this happening to me type of thing. Yeah, well, no, I wish I could say that you were correct on that, but no. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting the abridged version of the story right here. You know, we've only, we only got a few minutes. Right. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was total, uh, yeah, it was total trauma. So, no, I can't, I can't claim to be, you know, I, I, I might describe it looking back on it like that, but at the time it was, uh, it was nothing short of pure trauma. But, uh, so I think, uh, I think the thing, though, is that it was, you know, you get hit with those things and, you know, you get down and you can get, you can get upset and be disappointed, but, um, you know, you can't stay down there forever. And, and you, giving up is not, a, is not a good way to go either. So I think you just keep plugging and, yeah, you, know, you may never get there too. I mean, that's the other thing. There's even things I'm doing now that I wonder, geez, is this ever going to happen or work out the way I'm hoping or whatever? And it might not. But you know, the, I think the important thing is that you try and and yeah. do your best to make these things happen. And you know, you can't control the outcome all the time, but you certainly can control the effort. And that's the way I looked at it. You just just keep trying. Don't give up. If you give up, it's over. Absolutely. And as long as you don't give up, there's always a chance. So. But that doesn't mean it wasn't fraught with peril. I was not, I was not a cool customer. So you just caught me late in the day, you know, and I'm oh, okay. tired. So that's all. Oh, yeah, all right. That's, all, right. that's the only effect of that. No, <laughs> no. And I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to forget the, you know, the, the, uh, the trauma. And I don't want to go through a, you know, breakdown here. Really thinking about. It. But the book goes into more detail on all those things. But you're getting the bridge version. That book again is is Spaceman, and it's it's uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, when when you got a guy like Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that it's a fantastic book, you know it's going to be uh, a fantastic book. So you've gone through all these uh, trials and tribulations. You've gone through the training process, which I assume is is even more arduous than one would imagine. And you finally, you've blasted off, you're in outer space. What is that feeling like when you're first able to look around and realize where you are? Um, the, uh, when, you, when you first get there, of course, you're still inside the spacecraft. And I was inside the shuttle, and you float up to the window and take a look at how beautiful the Earth is. And, you know, it's magnificent. Um, and then you, uh, when, I, when I was, I was looking at to get the spacewalk, and, uh, getting a chance to go outside was was a was a, a different experience. Um, you're not looking through the window. You have the only thing that you're you're looking at. You're not you're not constra- constrained by the by the window frame. You're looking through your visor, and it's a thin visor that you're looking through. I mean, it's strong, but but it, it doesn't filter any of the light out, so you can see the real brightness of the of the sun and uh, how crisp everything looks in, in direct sunlight. In space and and the beauty for our planet. Um, when I when I looked at it during a, on my spacewalks and we're a bit higher than the space station up at Hubble. We're 100 miles higher, so we're able to see some of the curve of the planet. And the thought was, if uh, if if you were in heaven, this is what you would see. This would be the view from heaven. And I dwelled on that for a moment, and then I thought, no, it's more beautiful than that. This is what heaven must look like. And I, I felt like I was looking into a paradise. That's how beautiful our planet is from space. 
I I remember, and I just read this briefly, and I can't think of which astronaut said it or what the exact quote was, but it was one of the Apollo 8 astronauts when looking back at, at Earth from the moon uh, had this idea that your whole perspective on what's going on down there changes, and you kind of just want to shake these people and say, why can't you get it right? That is the paraphrased version of the quote, because this is a family show. But did you find that, too, that your sort of your perspective on, on things changed when you had that view of our planet? Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't think I had a feeling like, you know, I, I, think, I think we do the best we can about you know, getting it right. I think that, uh, that uh, I think we're very fortunate as astronauts to get to view, see the planet like that and and that's in its true form. That's what it's really like, and it really is a paradise. And we're very, very lucky, very lucky to be here. And, and uh, you know, I think we, we do the best we can to take care of the place and, and make the most of what we have in our lives. And, and uh, certainly, you know, we, we, have a, we have a beautiful planet to live on. There was a discovery just uh, announced today of uh, seven planets in a, in a star relatively close to us, although it's still 40 light years away. Sure. Um, that could be Earth-like, and you know that, that's great. You know, maybe they're Earth-like, but I, I don't believe I don't believe we're ever going to find a place quite as beautiful as our planet. Um, hopefully, we'll find planets that are like Earth. Maybe we'll find something more beautiful, but I can't imagine it. We are really lucky to be here. So you've gotten out of the spacecraft, you've seen the planet, and you you've had this moment of 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 I would imagine joy of just seeing it, the beauty of it all. And now you've got to turn around and you're going to be working on the Hubble Space Telescope, which is one of the most important instruments for discovery uh, of, well, of, like you mentioned, the exoplanets and those, all those things. Was there any moments of anxiety for you as you were doing this? Or did you, were you able to kind of lock it out and say, nope, this is my job and I'm just going to do it? No, you, you know, you, you, uh, you know, there is certainly nervousness. Um, but, you know, that, that's a point where, you know, and when you're, when you're working that, you know, being nervous and, and scared or anxious is is not going to help. I, I think that, you know, being concerned about something um, ahead of time, and so you might want to think about what could go wrong and where am I weak uh, that I can get stronger in, whatever it might be, in your skills or understanding what you're doing. So I think that's the time to try to worry and study as much as you can. Once you get out there, though, I, I think it's time to, to perform. And not, if, if there's anything... It's a great responsibility, and there's no time to be to be doing anything that's going to hurt your performance. And so, I think when you get out there, you really want to try to be as positive as you can, and not do anything that's going to hurt your ability to do a good job. So, by that point, I was definitely uh, trying to do the best I could, trying not to let anything else affect it. But of course, things conspire against you. We did have things go wrong on each one of my spacewalks. Um, in particular, my the last spacewalk I was on, um, I made a, mis- a big mistake. I stripped a bolt on a on a handrail I needed to remove to repair an instrument that was uh, able able to uh, look at far off planets and, and analyze their atmospheres. Of course, this is something that's very topical today. Where sure. we talked about the discovery of these exoplanets, and that instrument wasn't working any longer. We had a very complicated, most complicated repair. Um, to ever ever attempted on on an instrument to replace its power supply, the most most complicated repair I've ever done on a spacewalk, most complicated spacewalk, and the easiest thing was going to be to remove the sand drill because I start off by <laughs> stripping a screw and, and preventing us from being able to do that, and we did we did get a solution to that a little while later and we were able to remove the hand drill. It was told I was told to just tear it off, 
And then after that, I was really careful, and everything went fine, more or less. And we're able to get the instrument back, and it's still working today. But for that that hour or so, hour, an hour and a half, where you know we were in that limbo, whether or not we were going to be able to continue, I, I didn't feel very good about it. Yeah, not, not a very good time for me. Yeah, I can imagine not only uh, your crew, but uh, everybody back in Houston and and everywhere else that's listening in, going, "Oh, he did what?" And no one probably yeah. feels worse about it than you. Was anybody trying to yeah, encourage you through you know, it? Or? But that was, yeah, no. But the thing is, is that I was a lot of support from my crewmates during that time and from the ground and and the the team, yeah, the, the NASA team and the team of the Hubble Space Telescope team and. My my crew and and all of us working on that on that flight on that mission, it was a true team, and I think the sense of a true team is being together not when not only when the times are good, but but also when times are bad, and that's when yeah. you really need your teammates. And so, you know, there was no fingers being pointed or hey, look what this guy did. It was more like hey, we gotta we gotta fix this out together. You know, we have a problem that Mike messed up. Let's, let's right. you know, let's all blame it on him. And they all snapped to action and. You know, we were able together to figure it out, so it that's, worked out. Yeah, that's great, and it's it's obviously, as you said, it's still working, and and we're discovering uh, new yeah. things all the time with it. So it worked yeah. out. It worked out for the best. I know that uh, yeah. you, you know, as we read these the space news, and we just saw the story here recently of the uh, twins that had been in space, and their their DNA had changed, mm-hmm. and they were you're taller when you get back, or or however this all works. So it can be physically taxing. How mentally taxing is a trip to space? Um, the uh, depending on what you're doing, um, but you know certainly, you know spacewalk I think is uh, it's physically fatiguing, but spacewalking is also very mentally fatiguing, and and because it, it really requires a lot of concentration, and you know your brain can get tired as well. So there are certain things you do like that that are pretty mentally taxing because it requires. May not even be that complicated what you're doing, but it really requires for you to pay attention because, you know, one one mix up, one misstep, one one you know little blip, and you find yourself in a in a bad situation. So, you know, you, you it, it can get to you. You're always like one failure away from something really bad happening. Sure. So you're kind of always on guard, and and that can get to you after a while. And sometimes it's not even your failure, as as I mentioned the. Uh, the uh, yeah, the yeah, love the love affair with can happen. yeah I mean my love affair with yeah. space started with the Apollo 13 movie I'm too young to remember the yeah. 13 mission but uh, uh, just that I that's part, another thing for me I, I would have a hard time being like well what if I stir the oxygen tanks and then everything goes wrong but you guys yeah. obviously have to, yep. you guys have obviously trained for a lot of these situations yeah you, you train and train and train and, and you can't think of every problem but you. You train on how to solve problems. So when something comes up that's unexpected, you have a you know kind of a a drill to run through. You have a procedure. Even if you don't have a procedure that's written for it, and you have to make it up. You've been you've been you've solved so many problems together that you know how to how to attack it. And obviously, these days, you mentioned that you fell in love with the the Apollo missions. And these days, we don't have necessarily the unifying space flights that uh, we had in those days. But there's still got to be plenty of benefits to getting involved with space exploration and and looking forward to the future. What are some things that uh, you would like to see happen as we we try to move into, as uh, Captain Kirk would put it, the final frontier? Well, I think we're doing a lot of exciting things on the space station right now. We have uh, 
six crew members, three uh, three Russians, a French astronaut, and two Americans. Our friends uh, Shane Kimbrough and Peggy Whitson are in space right now, and hmm. and uh, they're doing some great work up there. We're, we've had continuously had people from various countries, always an American on board, and always or at least one Russian, but but other countries as well. It's an international program working together, doing research, exploring space. Uh, on the space station. It's a wonderful program, uh, an amazing international cooperative effort. I think the greatest engineering feat uh, ever ever come together, building that that facility in space. It's, it's huge and uh, big. It's got the inside volume of about a, uh, about a 747 jet. It's huge inside of there. Wow. The truss work is longer than a football field, the giant solar arrays, and it's an incredible facility that allows us to keep people in in space for long periods of time and keep them happy up there too. They're comfortable and well supported and it's just a great place. So we've got that going. I, I think that um, uh, two things on the horizon. Uh, one is that, uh, well, a couple things on the horizon, but more than two, but I'll, I'll mention three. One is, is that uh, soon we'll be launching from the U S again. We haven't launched people from the U S since the space shuttle program stopped back in 2011. Mm-hmm. But uh, Boeing and SpaceX are working with NASA to launch astronauts to the International Space Station. And that's that's coming along really well. It might take a little longer than we had hoped. But probably in the next year or two, we're going to be seeing that happening. Um, also, the, um, the NASA's the idea of going beyond low Earth orbit, going back to the moon or to an asteroid or, or to, to Mars, NASA is building a really big spaceship, a big rocket, the Space Launch System, and Orion. Uh, spacecraft that will go on top of that that can take astronauts beyond low Earth orbit, beyond where the space station flies, and to the moon or to Mars, someone like that. And I think maybe the most exciting thing is is the international, the uh, I'm sorry, the private enterprise. Um, you know, the the companies like Blue Origin and SpaceX and yeah. Virgin Galactic that are looking to take tourists into space. And there's lots of companies that are doing this with varying degrees of success, but but I think this is a very exciting time where we might be come on, coming on a real golden age of space travel. I think we've had a, several golden ages already, but I think that we're coming up on a big one. Um, you know, we tend to have a lot of excitement and a lot of accomplishment, and then we have a little bit of a down period and so on. Uh, we've had a pretty good down period in, in, a, in a positive way. It hasn't really been very down. We just haven't been flying the shuttle, haven't been putting as many people in space, but we've certainly kept the space station going strong for the past few years since we've had the shuttle. I think we're really on the brink of, of some exciting things. And the students I, I teach at Columbia, you know, they're interested in really interested in space from as much as I was or anyone else was in my day. Yeah. Uh, and, and what they're looking at is not just NASA uh, or the big aerospace companies like, like Boeing or Lockheed Martin or those big companies, but they're also looking at entrepreneurial companies where they can um, make, make a difference in, in forging this new industry of, of space tourism and, and private companies uh, going into space. And it may, who knows, it may be a commercial company that goes to Mars before, before NASA does. I wouldn't be so surprised if that happens. It, it really is an exciting time, and I'm glad that uh, we were able to have the expert to, to sort of uh, get into those uh, those areas because, like I mentioned, you know, everyone, yeah. everyone watched the Apollo missions when they were going on, at least Apollo 11, uh, and then yeah. the, the shuttles and, and all of that. And, 
now it's like, oh, yeah, the, we know the International Space Station is up there, but maybe people aren't as in yeah. tune with, with what the, the the important science, really, that has impact on us yeah. uh, that's going on up mm-hmm. there. So I'm glad I'm glad you were able to yeah. to bring that in. The book is yeah. uh, is Spaceman, and for anybody who is as interested in in the stories of astronauts as I am, it's a fantastic read. Uh, where can folks uh, find it? Wherever books are sold, <laughs> uh, you're, 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 uh, wherever wherever you can find a book, you should be able to find Spaceman. Um, yeah, no, uh, you know, definitely online at uh, your favorite uh, online bookseller or at your favorite bookseller on on Earth, uh, walking around town. Um, it's it's available everywhere. So uh, anyone who gets it, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, I know that I know that we certainly enjoyed it, and we certainly enjoyed our opportunity to talk with a real life space traveler uh, and the lessons that uh, you were able to uh, help us learn through that experience uh, are are just uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here on Live Happy Now. My 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 pleasure, Daryl. Thanks for having me. If you would like a free sketch note of this episode or to read a free excerpt from Spaceman, you can go to livehappynow.com. A fun, fun a broadcast wrapping up here. And if there is anything that you would like to add to the story or anything you would like for us to hear, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy. You can find us on facebook.com slash livehappy or send us an email podcast at livehappy.com and stay tuned. More fun news is yet to come. For everybody here at Live Happy Now podcast and magazine, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you for helping us to live happy.